Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael, and we are here today as part of our podcast series, Journey Through the Realms, to discuss the Eberron Dungeons & Dragons setting. Eberron was originally published as a result of its creator, Keith Baker, winning a design contest held by Wizards of the Coast. Eberron was then originally published for the 3.5 edition of D&D in 2004, with the design credits going to Keith Baker, Bill Slavisek, and James Wyatt. There have been additional versions of Eberron released for both 4th and 5th edition of the Dungeons & Dragons role-playing game. Joining me today to talk about Eberron is my guest, Shane Viscalkis. Shane, welcome back to the Academy. Hello, Michael. It has been too long, sir, since we have interacted either in person or online. You are a regular at Academy. You've been, I like to think of, an online friend of mine for many years at this point. Uh, But what have you been up to lately? Michael, it's been like years since we've played a game together. Like we used to play a weekly game, and now I haven't played an actual game with you in so long because you don't play games at a catacon anymore. I don't. I, every now and then I run my own. As, as you can see the banner behind me, Action Twelve <laughs> Cinema. Uh, I'm working on my own. So I, maybe jump into a, a play test of that coming up soon. I got a bunch of those. I'm trying to get organized. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Would love to. But about you, what, what's going on in Shane's life? Uh, I just had a baby, so um, congratulations! All of, thank you. All of my—I uh, I didn't actually do anything. My wife did literally all of the work. Um, she does, yeah, most of the work. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And so uh, now I pretty much am capable of feeding, changing, uh, and handing her to a more capable parent. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so all my projects are on hold, trying to keep our tiny human alive for a little while. But uh, I, yeah, uh, Total Party Thrill is a show that we uh, have been doing for a few years now. Uh, thanks to you, you were one of the the people who inspired us to to start a podcast. So, and that's been been going strong. Uh, we've switched to biweekly. We're now doing an actual play to kind of fill a little more time. But once we kind of get our feet under us, uh, both me and my my co host Ishan. He uh, also had a baby uh, at the same time. <laughs> so, <laughs> must have been something in the water. Pandemic kids, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very glad that I could steal away a little bit of your time this week to, to have this conversation. When I think of Eberron, I obviously think of Keith Baker. But beyond that, I kind of think of you and Ishan. Like, those are, I think, the three of you are the people that I know that know the most about Eberron. Uh, I know you and I share a love for it. Is it your favorite? D&D setting? Uh, <laughs> I'm so, I, that's such a loaded question for me. I think it is. Um, I, there's lots of things, like there's lots of things about D&D settings that I love, right? Like I, Planescape has a lot of cool stuff. Dark Sun I've had a lot of fun with. Birthright is like one of those weird things that's so, I just, I like it. But, you know, I, I keep coming back to Eberron because Eberron is like, I think just has really stood the test of time and now it's old enough to say that you know 20 years it's been been around or whatever 15 17 years something like that so like and it's it's been through different editions and and versions and stuff and like you know it's 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 so it's still like keith is still so active in it you know like keith-baker.com he's still answering questions about eberron and publishing new material and just you know, it's such a it's such a fun world and it's a world that has like drama and intrigue but also hope um, which is just like, I don't know, it's, it feels good. <laughs> yeah. So I've said for years that it's my favorite. And, I, and at this point, I still hold to that. But I, I have put an asterisk on that because as part of putting the, this series together, I kind of realized that I honestly don't know much about many of the settings. I know about Forgotten Realms, and that's sort of the 
base standard, and I don't particularly like Forgotten Realms. Mm -hmm. So my love of Eberron is mostly in comparison to Forgotten Realms. It's really not in comparison to any of these other settings because I've only ever dabbled on them enough to, to not really know enough to know if I would enjoy them or not. So this whole journey through the realm thing was as much for me to actually get to know these settings, uh, but hopefully the audience will as well. But for now, it's still my favorite. Mm -hmm. And we will see at the end of this if I still feel that way. Good. I, it should be. It's, it's deserving of the honor. I think so. And I, th I think it does some really cool things that helps both me as a DM and as a player. So let's, let's jump into some of that. So what is it about Eberron that you think kind of sets it apart? We are going to use Forgotten Realms as sort of a standard. It's the pseudo medieval European countryside, except it's got dragons and magic and stuff on it too. So what is it about Eberron that you think sets it apart from that? I cannot wait to compare it to Forgotten Realms uh, and then be yelled at for not knowing anything about Forgotten Realms. Well, <laughs> it, fair. Um, okay, so a couple things that I think separate Eberron. One is uh, it was designed as a D&D &D setting to incorporate all of the rules of, of third edition, which meant it needed to have a place for any type of monster. Uh, it needed to have a place for any type of, you know, playable race. It needed to add new things to D and D, right. Which it did with some like things like Warforged. Um, but then it also has like psionics makes sense, right? Like it, it has a place for all of these things, uh, which is great. It doesn't feel like they've just been tacked on or culturally appropriated the way that a lot of things in forgotten realms do. Um, or like, you know, the literature and fiction of Forgotten Realms doesn't really make sense to a D&D &D game, right? Like, right. what even is a Dritzt? But the other thing that I think really makes it unique is that there is a huge, just burning fundamental question at the center of Eberron that has no answer, right? And and the the challenge to the GM is to answer the question. And the question is, what is the day of mourning? Right. Like everyone that like we know what it is, but what caused it? Right. And so the day of mourning, the you know, the the five nations were at war. The whole continent of Corvair, kind of the main place in Eberron, was at war over the throne. Uh, you know, it's a war of succession. Everyone has a claim to it. And then one day a magical calamity happens of some sort, and an entire nation is just devastated. It's gone. It becomes what's known as the Mornland, just a place of magical waste. Um, basically, a nuclear bomb goes off, and nobody knows what caused it. Nobody knows who controls it. Nobody knows why it happened or what it even was. And all of a sudden, everybody goes, oh, crap. Uh, we better sign a treaty and stop fighting because we don't know what's going on. So now you're in this, like, you know, three years after that, you're in this, like, Cold War setting of, like, are we friends? Are we enemies? What's going to be the answer here? What caused this? And it just gives you such a play, like, such a high concept for a campaign of, like, just what's the answer to that question? And then see what happens from there and see how your players interact with it. Yeah, I, again, I think the Moreland is one of the things that initially drew me to the setting. And it just a to tack on there, one of the more interesting things to me about the Mornland is that, yes, it's almost like a nuclear bomb went off, except that the, the radius perfectly follows right. the nation <laughs> of Sire or Seer, depending on, or probably others, other ways of pronouncing it. So it's some sort of, it's tied to that nation specifically. It was like, it's just a center, like a, you know, bubble and it affected everyone. It only affected that nation along the, the borders that are right. recognized by its neighbors, that makes no sense right. unless there was some sort of guiding intellect behind it. And then you have to question, well, what, what was it 
was it trying to be something beneficial that went terrible? Right. Or was it like a strike that was set upon by someone else? And either what, you know, whatever way you want to go with that, because there is no defined answer. It's up to every group, every DM that runs that game to decide that. It, it's just so interesting that it, it's, it, it begs for an answer or a quest to find the answer. Right. And, and, you know, not to say that that has to be, you know, the mystery of every game, right? You can make that you can make that choice as the DM and then never have your players interact with the day and morning. And, and we've run a never on campaign in which that was actually it. Like we were just running in, like we had played a game. Uh, we had figured out the day of morning and, and dealt with that. And then we were like, Hey, let's play a parallel game in the same world. Uh, you know, in our, in our canon, right. But we're just not going to touch the day of morning. Like we're just going to mm-hmm. do other stuff. Like there's other interesting things happening in the setting. Like let's go explore some of those things right. kind of in, in parallel. Um, and that, that, that's the other part of Eberron that I really, really like is that there are, you know, um, there are these, you know, great evils that are just buried in the ground that have been, you know, like that have just been kept there and, and, and bound for tens of thousands of years. And like, what happens if those get released? Right. Like there's a, a in, invasions from like aberrations, right. That are trying to come up through the earth and like take over the world. You have Kalistar, which are a psionic race that are, or uh, the quarry or I don't, honestly don't follow all the psionics um but right like there's all of the dreaming dark and like these different things like these organizations that are trying to you know subvert normal society and and try to take over the world or destroy it or do whatever there's you know dragons are these super powerful like political entities who want nothing to do with men and just want to stare at the stars and interpret their prophecies and like what happens if they decide oh that prophecy is really bad we better intervene right you know, like there's just all these different things that could happen, and like you pick any one of those threads and start pulling on it, and you're gonna find an adventure. And that's right. like, it just it gives you so much. And really, it's like, what of this resonates for your players, and like what excites you? Like that's your Eberron. Yep. And there's just so much of it, and it all fits together really, really elegantly. There's so much, so many resources for it to like get an answer or get some guidance. Um, like I, I just, I really think it's well executed. Uh, in terms of its concept, which is again, I gotta fit all of D and D the game into a setting. How do I do that? Right now, I again, I, I think Keith Baker is a brilliant mind. Uh, you know, I back almost anything he does on mm-hmm. on Kickstarter, uh, so I'm certainly a fan of his as a as a designer. And I think he did an amazing job with this. I, I don't know specifically how much Bill and James had to do with the original. I I, I associate Keith with the majority of it. But however it was done, I think it was done very, very well. Uh, One of the things that I also like as a DM in the Eberron setting is that it's assumed that your characters will become like the more powerful heroes. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have what I call the Forgotten Realms problem. I'll take the bullet here and say this, that if you look at the lore around Forgotten Realms, there's always a question of why isn't Superman dealing with this? Because Eberron is full of Superman. Mm -hmm. There's just tons and tons of almost godlike, powerful people running around that they can't be bothered to deal with the problems you're dealing with. Now, you can always answer that, that there's another problem they're dealing with. Sure. But there is still that question of like, are we really the most like the, the people that should be doing this, are we the best choices? Mm-hmm. And I think Eberron, the status quo is yes, you are the best people to be dealing with this most of the time. Yeah. And I just like that as a design element. When I run games, I don't want to have a super powerful NPC show up and solve the problem for the for the players. And I think it feels more like an action movie 
than maybe some of these other settings would when you're playing the game. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. Um, I mean, Eberron, even from third edition, had a, had a concept of, like, action point, I think, came mm-hmm. from Eberron, right? And that, like, it just gave you more agency than any other setting right it, well i guess i guess dark sun was also like hey start at level three or you die but uh <laughs> you know but like yeah it's it's exactly that right and if, if you look at high level npcs and, and things like that like eberron kind of caps out at 15 you know like if you get to level 15 you are a mover and shaker in the world of eberron at, at a scale of of national importance right like and and that's just the way the world is sort of power scaled um but it's also like a world in which like you know magic has been industrialized and like sort of been treated as a science so that magic is extremely accessible to a lot of people so you're not necessarily safe (laughs) like oh congratulations you're level 15 like that's cool but like you know, uncommon magical items are are incredibly common in Ebera. Like wands of blasting or uh, spell slingers, right? Is like you know, wild west gunfighters just walk around Eberron like having it out in the street if they need to. I guess, yeah. Uh, if you're in the wrong part of town, you know, and like that's a thing that could just happen. And you know, so it, it has some of that feeling of like whatever you're doing in Eberron, you might be powerful, but you're also like there's existential threats, so you're always punching above your weight class at the same time Mm -hmm. you know and like there's also this question of like sure you might be able to you know fight jayla darren the leader of thrain right um i can't remember what her actual keeper of the flame you might be able to fight her because she's a level 15 cleric with a really nasty companion but can you fight the entire nation? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, like, are you are you really going to send an entire nation into chaos? Because those are the kinds of stakes that that happen when you, you know, kill the Pope. <laughs> like, ter- right. turns out that everyone who adheres to that religion puts you on the top of their list. And that's a lot of people. <laughs> like, Yeah, and, you know, I think you kind of touch on that Cold War, Cold War era sort of feel that you can have the sort of game where the players know who the bad guy or bad girl is early on, but they can't just go in and kill them mm-hmm. because that will make things worse. Right. So you can have an adventure where the bad person can continually make their life miserable, but they can't just stab them in the face with a stick. And so many of the role-playing games that I play, that was almost always an option. Mm-hmm. And I and I like the types of games where it's not. And I think everyone, not exclusively so but is one of the settings where because you're dealing with such this precarious cold era sort of feel that if you go in if your your character's from breland and you go into a different country and like you said kill someone of importance that could start a war Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if the person you killed is a bad person maybe they're an undead tyrant but still they're the king of that particular country and now that that you've killed them okay great now you've just started a war where thousands and thousands of people probably will die so you can't just do that right or if you do you then will have to deal with the repercussions yeah i I enjoy that as a storyteller yeah and i mean certainly don't want to tell your players you can't do something but like you know uh you're you're playing a different game after that (laughs) like it's gonna be (laughs) it's gonna be a memorable campaign (laughs) absolutely so we've touched on a few things obviously um but one of the things I want to talk about is some of the important features, locations, NPCs, and maybe storylines. So we'll start with features. Uh, I think we've talked a lot, you know, day of mourning, 
the Cold War era sort of politics, but are there any other features of the Eberron setting? And this can be both of the setting itself or like the ge- geography of the world that it inhabits. Mm-hmm. Anything that you would define as a feature that you'd want to touch on? So a um, couple things that I really like to, to pitch. So if you're a DM, one great feature of Eberron is called the Draconic Prophecy. It's literally the dragons read the stars and interpret what is uh, you know expected to happen. And maybe sometimes... Uh, tip their hand as to whether or not it should happen um right so that's a thing um which means that anything that the players do or don't do could be either in honoring that prophecy or not honoring that prophecy it's not meant for them to know but it's meant to give you an out in world to explain whatever odd coincidence you need to make it all work (laughs) right and and, and to give a satisfying ending which is not to say it's it's just railroad your players with the draconic prophecy right but it is to say like they will always have a meaningful their choices can always be meaningful because you can always give them meaning through the prophecy right and like doing something that sounds like a good idea that turns out to be really bad like and a dragon comes and knocks on your door you know like again memorable moment (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Um, you know, getting dragged before the chamber to explain yourself uh, would probably be pretty traumatic to have, you know, a, a handful of dragons uh, interrogating you. Then the, uh, the other thing, um, Zendrik, you've got uh, the, the continent of Zendrik is this sort of lost wilderness jungle kind of place. Uh, inside it are the ruins of the giant civilization. So you have all the like, kind of artifacts, Indiana Jones, you know, crawling through temples and um, raiding lost civilizations and that sort of thing. If, you, if you're if you looking for that kind of like more pulp adventure, um, that's a, a great piece of it. Uh, you have all of the magical technology. So uh, I think most famous are Warforged, right? Which are mm-hmm. sort of the living automatons, right? But uh, Changelings, which are, you know, playable shapeshifters. Kalishtar, which are uh, psionic and shifters, which are uh, basically like where people but an actual true breeding race of people, right? You know, those those kinds of things are all added in there. So I think that adds a little cool flavor. All of those have their own kind of like pulp high magic concept to it. And then the other the other thing that like always works for me, I just want to call out there, there are the Lazar principalities. They're a nation on the coast of Corvair, which is the main continent, that are just pirate princes and princesses. Hey, I'm always looking for a pirate game. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, you can almost never go wrong with a, with a pirate campaign or a stop in a pirate area where your other adventure suddenly veers into a pirate territory. You had to deal with a little bit of that. Uh, and then you get back out, you know? Right. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's boat travel. Um, you've also got magical trains, you've got magical airships, you have magical boats, bound elementals, powering all types of weird magical devices, whatever it is you're looking for. If you want like your mad scientist figure, right? Make them arcane. They fit perfectly into Eberron. Make them psionic. They fit perfectly into Eberron. Yeah. Uh, make it just science. And you know, you're only off by like probably a hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do love uh, the magic trains and the airships. That, that, those are, again, elements of the types of stories I like to tell where you can have sky cab chases mm-hmm. and you can have people jumping from an airship to another airship or from an, uh, a tower onto an airship. Yep. And the, just the types of stories that you can tell and the, and the encounters you can build when you have those elements. Not to say that's the only setting that uses those, but it's it with all the other things it does, it's one of the things about Eberron I particularly enjoy. Mm-hmm. I also like Sharn. 
one of the more famous cities yep. within uh, Eberron is the city of towers. It's eventually, or it's basically like New York city in fantasy world, but it has these weird strata and it goes way, way up into the sky. And there's a reason in the game why, but you can have entire campaigns that never leave the city if you don't want them to. And, right. you know, underneath the undercity, you have dungeons all the way up to the upper spires where you have these lavish, wealthy, uh, you know, aristocrats that, you know, the politic side of it where you have to go to these fancy balls and your barbarian has to pretend they know how to dance. You know, you can have the entire gambit of a campaign without ever leaving a footprint of, you know, a few square miles. Right. Yep. And then I think the last feature that we really got to call out, uh, and it probably is is unfair that we've even waited this long, is uh, dragon marks, which are mm-hmm. uh, magical tattoos. They're like um, think of ma- like a marker of having magical blood, um, but they're they're like true breeding tattoos. So you're born with them. They grow and manifest over time, um, and what they do is they grant you magical power. And as a result, these tattoos then kind of feed you into these uh, organizations called Dragon Mark Houses. They're basically international corporations. You know, they aren't tied to a single country, right? They operate across the, the world, but they all, based on their marks, have certain industries that they're responsible for, right? So, like, you might have um, House Lorander has the... Uh, that's the mark of storms i believe so they have all the airships right because mm-hmm. they can help control the wind or um you know you might have the mark of hospitality and those are you know uh those are only only appear in halflings and so um you know the any any type of like um like tavern and even hospital tavern or- exactly exactly right and so you would go there and if, if it has you know the seal then you know it's good and if it doesn't well maybe it's a little shadier right and then there's you know marks that are focused on assassinations or spying um intelligence right um the mark of making house caneth right like is they are the ones who created the warforged as well as lots of other magical devices and lots of weapons of mass destruction <laughs> Yeah, they're they're generally at the top of the list of the people that might be behind the day of mourning. Yeah, yeah. And and even that like House Caneth is kind of split into like, oh, there's some good guys and some, you know not so good guys. Yeah, exactly. It's it's Wayne Industries. <laughs> like Yeah. It's like I can't believe we built this product. <laughs> <laughs> and with of course again being the type of world that it is, you also have uh, aberrant marks. There's also, I think, a war at one time. They 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 got rid of some of the aberrant uh, marks because they can be dangerous. Can. You have the missing 13th house that's true there's some some drama there if you're if you're interested in in finding out about that i mean you can absolutely explore the the 13th house the uh the mark of death uh so one thing i do want to call out is i'm all about fluff and flavor and i think that within the games of eberron that i've ran i've tried to make that the, the dragon marks important but from a mechanic standpoint i actually don't think they work very well i don't think they really do for a character, what the the lore and the story part makes it seem like they should do, because they're not powerful enough. They're they're in the literature, like the books I've read. A few Keith Baker wrote, and a couple others. Tim Wagner wrote, I, which I enjoyed all those. I think that they seem to be more important, but when you play them in the game, they don't really do a whole lot. Yeah, I think, and I like I don't really remember uh, how they were because I didn't really come to Ebron until fifth edition. But I think in, in like third edition they were really strong in fourth edition they got toned back and like now in fifth edition I struggle. <laughs> like I and I don't even actually remember where they landed in fifth edition. I th- think they were feats and then they became race 
they became like uh, sub races because uh, because they are all tied to different um to different races right like only humans yeah. can can have certain marks and only elves can have certain marks and things like that and so um if i recall i think they ended up as sub races which d- just did not i i don't love it i agree with you they never really feel as powerful in the game as they should uh certainly in fifth edition so it's yeah you know it's like one of those things where it's like sometimes like the the individual power is less important than the power of having the house behind you right yeah and i think that's where it is important because you can definitely get a game of thrones in type feel if that's yeah. what you're going for with all these houses working against each other and if you choose to have a mark you're part of the family right so you instantly get this recognition this status that can be used for or against you within the world, depending on where you are and who you're interacting with. Right. So from that standpoint, having a character with one is pretty important. But what it actually does mechanically, I think, is kind of a... Yeah, it's... um, Look, it's not my favorite part. I, uh, you're yep. right. <laughs> Fair criticism. <laughs> All right. So what about some NPCs? Again, this is a world where our characters are going to become super important early on. But there's got to be a few people in the world to start with that are the the heads of these houses and that kind of such that maybe would be important. Again, I know there's a lot of them. So if there's one or two in particular you've had experience with or you like, touch on those. Uh, yeah, I already mentioned one, Jayla Darren. The, uh, she's a uh, like a – I think she's like a 16-year-old girl. I don't remember exactly how old she is. But and I think even younger, maybe just maybe fifth edition is different. I thought she's like 13. I Yeah, I would sure like her to be uh older um she got joked as the lollipop um when she was like when the the setting was released because she is very young uh, but she was chosen to be the keeper of the flame which makes her the um the leader of like effectively the pope of the church of the silver flame which is itself kind of modeled after like catholicism and specifically the spanish inquisition um and and i think depending on how hard you want to lead into that is either reforming itself or really just gearing up for another purge um they've had some some bad history with changelings and shifters in the past um but i think her as a character is really compelling i think like the the church as um as such a powerful entity and such a public entity is a little bit rare in fantasy settings um it's like it's actually kind of one of those things about medieval history that's completely missed a lot of times it's like oh yeah there's pantheons and like the gods do things but like the churches never have the sort of politics and strength that uh that like the real world religious institutions do. Um, so I think that's really compelling. She's also like the head of state of the the nation of Thrain because it's theocratic. So even at war, right, they have religious adherents, right? Like members of their religion who are not Thrainish. And then they are also, right, like the theocratic nation. So I think that's a really interesting thing. King Caius of Carnath, uh, I, I, I think he's King Caius Third is uh actually king caius the first um he's a three thousand year old vampire 300 year yeah, old i got i got kind of laid that track earlier talking about maybe an undead yeah really. that's what i was talking about <laughs> yeah yeah so i think that's a really like again like a really cool concept you know he died uh as king caius the first and just didn't <laughs> so <laughs> hey look i'm my son i'm oh no i'm my own son again you know it's yeah, uh, the family resemblance is striking exactly exactly we breed for this you know, so I think like that's a, that's another like kind of NPC that like you know if your players know it, then great, they get that kind of like dramatic irony of like, I know he's a vampire, but like my characters have no idea. Can I just deal with this, or like, <laughs> or the other question is, do I deal with this? Right, like Carnath uses undead soldiers, like they raise the dead to fight for them, like that's their thing. They're, they're 
kind of like Russia and uh, how they view the value human life, right? Like Russia and the ba- Battle of Stalingrad, right? Like that's their whole ethos. And so like, should you? Are they evil? You know, like, yeah. and, and that's like, a, again, sort of a feature going back like of Eberron is like, alignment's not a thing, right? Like things aren't good or bad, right? They're, everything is gray. You know, you don't have, you have monstrous races, but you don't have evil races, right? You don't have evil people because they're evil alignment. You have evil people because they do bad things. Right. And, you know, King Caius is the leader of a nation of both good and bad people, you know, that like has a claim to the throne, but also like, you know, hurts people in a war. <laughs> and so like nobody is cut and dry. And, and even like the, the King of Breland, um, uh, whose name is completely escaping me now is the, like, the good guy King. Right. right? Is it Boromir? Bornell. I think. Borno, yeah. Yeah. Um, we got there. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Uh, like, even he, like, he's the good guy, but he has a secret police, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. He has, uh, the Dark Lanterns are his intelligence agency, and he controls weapons of mass destruction. Uh, he didn't get to use them in the war, but, like, he has a floating battle station that is an awful lot like the Death Star, um, or at least like a Star Destroyer, right? Um, you know, and, and so, like, he's not necessarily a good guy. He's just, you know, like the nation that doesn't have undead warriors. So I guess he's slightly better, you know? Right. It's it's a game of degrees. Right, exactly, exactly. And the same thing for anybody involved with the house, right? It's just always good people and bad people. And and there are, like, a few named um, characters within the houses that I think are interesting. Uh, there's a couple Lazar Princes are really interesting. Um, of course, the Chamber, which is the group of dragons who are kind of hold themselves responsible for the prophecy i think are really interesting if you get to kind of a higher level where you're you know maybe able to take actions that will influence nations <laughs> um you know right. you might grab their attention and then you're dealing with that and then there's also the um i'm uh what's her name the queen of the drow in zendrick uh who is in a like a, a centuries-long war against uh against uh the Dalkir. Uh, who are the aberrations? Um, I I don't have her name at all. Uh, mm, ah, whatever. It's okay. <laughs> you know what? She's a really cool character too because she's a drow who like is living in Zendrick, which is effectively like a jungle wasteland. But like, hey, she's actually our best defense against this like incursion of Dalkir, which could just burst through at any moment and you know like become a huge problem for us. Yeah, I mean, there, again, there's. Tons and tons. Um, I, I mean, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but uh, you know, one part we're going to talk about resources that people can go to to, to get all this information. Mm-hmm. There's currently one fifth edition published hardback from Wizards of the Coast. I'm sure there's probably some more stuff on the DMs Guild, uh, but I actually still go back to my 3.5 books. I have almost the entire collection of the, all the Eberron books from my 3.5 days. That's what I go mm-hmm. to. Yeah, are there any particular resources you would suggest for someone who is interested in Eberron, but you know, maybe doesn't have all the money or the time in the world. Yeah, I mean, um, any of those books are good. Uh, if you're if you're interested in more of the deep lore, exploring Eberron is on the DMs Guild. It's actually written by Keith Baker for Fifth Edition. It, it adds some more um, lore and adds some more like uh, mechanical content, magic items, things like that to the game as well. Um, what's really interesting is it, it talks about the whole planar cosmology, which I don't even have time to go into, right? <laughs> um and and also like a little bit more about religion which is interesting um i think sharn city of towers is is a great 
you know, if that concept, if urban fantasy sounds fun, um, Sharn City of Towers from third edition was a great book. Yeah. Um, Keith-Baker.com, uh, is still the resource that I go to first. If for nothing else, then he tends to be a great bibliography of, of the setting. It's got a great search feature. And if I'm ever curious about any concept, like I just search for that and see what shows up there. There's also the Eberron wiki is like not great for its content, but is pretty good for its sourcing. Um, so if there's a, like, they're pretty good about getting, um, for at least any page that they have, even if the content on it is kind of lackluster, like they are generally pretty good about specifying which books cover that topic, Mm -hmm. which is kind of more how I use as my index because I don't have, I don't have enough knowledge of all the different books to know which ones to pick up. And then certainly the ones on the shelf, like I can't remember what's in what, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. Again, I love Eberron. I know more about it than I do any of the other settings, and I still know less than 10% probably of what there is to know. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I've barely scratched the surface, and I've been playing in it for years. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I'm going to kind of combine the next two sections are about the some of the storylines, because I think we've, we've touched on those already. But what sorts of adventures do you think that, that Eberron supports maybe better than other settings might? And I feel like I know the answer is going to be all of them, because Eberron has different, you can go to different places and do different things, but I'm still going to ask you anyways. No, no, no. And, and I think that's a, that's a pithy answer, but the wrong answer, because D&D doesn't support every type of story very well. Right, like D and D is a game does a really good job of supporting uh, an adventure in which whatever you're doing is two fisted, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like it does combat really, really well. It does other things okay, and some things pretty badly. And like when you talk about intrigue, when you talk about politics, like it's really, really good if you're if one of your options is always going to be to punch something in the face, <laughs> yeah. right? Like if 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 you can have those kinds of games. You know, that kind of pulpy adventure where, like, you're going to get by in your wits, you're going to get by in your silver tongue, but sometimes you're just going to have to fight your way out of it. Like, I think that's, like, that's, like, so Eberron. And it's especially good if you want to tell kind of, like, more modern stories, right? Like, talk about urban fantasy. Talk about, like, you know, if you want to tell stories about lost lost civilizations right and like the like like things like the Dakani empire right which is the goblin empire that um that ruled corvair before humans came um and like w- what's happened between the fall of the Dakani and um like the nation of dargoon which is its remnant the goblin nation um you know you want to talk about like what do universities look like in a not quite capitalistic society, right? But at least in like early industrial society, right? Um, like what is what is the blend of like medieval meets industrial, right? Like what does a surf look like when you also have just like running water if you need it from right. a bound elemental in the your village always has clean water, like <laughs> um, you know things like that. Like the, there's those kind of like juxtaposition kind of things too, where you can kind of ask some of those questions and play with it. Um, and so I think it sets up that kind of like cognitive dissonance, I guess, right? And like in, and lets you play in that space really well. Um, and then like I, I think ultimately like what Eberron does so well, and that's just because of how the lore of the setting is set up, is that long investigation. Right. That's sort of like the big question here is what caused the day of mourning? Right. If you just want to run that campaign and you have an answer in mind and you want to like get your players hooked on it and, and try to get them to, you know, figure out what it is, like I think that's single handedly the campaign that Eberron does the best. 
right? right? Like you can go anywhere, any direction, follow any group of players through whatever, you know, twisted politics and, and, you know, fantastic locations and means of conveyance and like magical technology and whatever. But like, if you can get to that point where they're just chasing down, like all the different players and what led to the day of mourning, like, I think that's just a tentpole campaign. I think pulp action uh, yeah. for a D and D game. I think that's kind of for me. That's my wheelhouse in the Eberron games, where it feels like Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. You're going to these exotic locations. You're uncovering these ancient treasures. You're you know there's some politics that you might want to get into, but I really enjoy that. And that's why I like the magical trains. Like maybe they don't make sense. I don't care because I love the idea of a murder on the Orient Express right. in D and D. I love the idea of like these airship. Uh, you know, being attacked by air pirates and then you're, you're fighting them off, but then your airship gets damaged and it starts to go down. So you're dealing with the slow crash, you know, and maybe you try to jump to other uh, airship to get away. Like those are the types of scenes that I could just hang my hat on and have a ton of fun playing. And then long-term there's this overarching story about the draconic prophecy or the more land, mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe the monsters of Drome have finally decided to come out of there and they want to expand their territory. You know, you find out that the silver flame is shocker corrupted somehow. And what does that, how does that ripple through the entire nation? Do people believe it? Or is it quote unquote fake news? And they want to, they don't want to realize the truth. Mm-hmm. I just, I think there's so much of that type of game that you could do that I really, really enjoy. Uh, and then the last one I'll say, just because uh, you, you, we've touched on it, but the draconic prophecy is very important, and sometimes the dragons may try to influence things. The last time they did that big picture was when they destroyed the the giant yeah. nation of Zindrin. Because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, in this this history, giants were super intelligent. They were super like um, like technology, mm-hmm. and they basically decimated them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if the dragons do decide to come forth in force, they're probably going to wreck whatever they want. So you maybe not want that, right. but that could be a fun game to play and fun campaign to play, you know? You know, I don't know of anybody who's running post-apocalyptic Eberron, but um, I, hey, I've got worse ideas floating around <laughs> than post-apocalyptic Eberron, right? Like, yeah. oops, all dragons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the draconic, the draconic prophecy has come to an end. Right. <laughs> yeah. So what about any favorite memory? Is either a player in an D- Eberron game or as a DM from an Eberron session that you ran? What is like one Eberron-specific thing that you just like think back on and you're like, oh, that is great? <laughs> so in, in, the, in, the, in our second Eberron game, uh, which, which we were running, again, kind of we, we did the standard sort of the figure out the day of morning was our first campaign, right? And so in the second one, uh, it was smaller stakes. We knew we weren't doing like a one to 20. It was going to be like one to 15, right? And kind of, um, you know, a little more personal stakes. I uh, wanted to be a little more like um, house drama. And, and uh, it was more about like House Tarasco's involvement um, in um, House Tarasco is the, the house of healing, or the mark of healing. So it's the halfling house. Um, and, and they were uh, experimenting with some um, like, magical bioengineered disease basically right and that was sort of a, a weapon that they were potentially bringing into the war to tip the scales which again formally all of the houses in the war were neutral right they were supposed to be mm-hmm. switzerland but in reality like you know everybody has a headquarters somewhere <laughs> and like <laughs> sure would be a shame if our headquarters were to get blown up in a war so ooh, what team are we really on here 
Um, and so like, anyway, so we were chasing down this, like basically trying to fight this disease, um, pre COVID, um, and, and, and tracking it through its outbreak and trying to figure all this stuff out. And we attracted to this one guy's house. Um, and, uh, we were fighting him in his like, you know, six story apartment in the middle of a decent sized town in Eberron, like not the kind of place that you could just go setting a, you know, an apartment complex completely on fire and, and walk away from it clean um and certainly not when your blood is like a is a <laughs> like poison that spreads disease uh and so anyway we accidentally blew up uh, he triggered a failsafe and blew up his entire apartment and uh i was a druid and i to survive i had to leap out the window <laughs> like and then change into a, a form that was like high enough hit points to survive the fall uh, which I did, <laughs> and then knocked unconscious, got dragged into safety before the uh, before the cops could show up, uh, or before the city watch could show up to investigate what was going on and why this random apartment in the nice part of town just suddenly, you know, exploded outward. Right. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah, very, very again, very Eberron. You're jumping from a burning, exploding building. You know, it's, it's die hard in D and D type of thing, except you should have landed in a garbage truck. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we also, we also had one. Um, uh, so Ishan, uh, my, you know, my, my, uh, partner, co-host on, on total party thrill was our GM for both of these. And he, he had this character that we hated. He was like our, our nemesis, right. Um, uh, named Nistrum Shadar. And he had this calling card, which was, he would leave a silenced fireball, uh, like arcane rune <laughs> as his like locking mechanism <laughs> and it would be like you know we go and like we check the door and it's like okay you check the door or whatever and then it would be like okay i try to pick the lock and then somebody else would say something and he would go you didn't hear that and then it's like oh no roll decks <laughs> and it's like we've tripped yet another fun like another silence fireball nice uh, I love see, and that's those are the types of things I just I love about. Not that you couldn't do those in other settings, but it feels right. Right, it's exactly. Setting. It's it's the hand grenade booby trap, you know, that like every mobster leaves behind. You know. Yep. Okay, so next, I want to talk really quickly. If you have someone who's about to DM their first ever Eberron campaign game, what is one piece of advice that you would give that person? Give everybody a mission and and a reason to be together and just see what happens it is designed as a world in which you know you can have a a party that is a a, a living robot a shapeshifter an elf and a human right with a with two different dragon marks and nothing in common and like just find the reason to bring them together and then just start pulling on those threads because eberron works that way uh it was designed for it there's enough interconnectedness between everything going on in the setting. Like you don't have to worry if you have a goblin from, uh, from Dargoon and a, a gnome from Zalargo, and then you have a necromancer from Karnath. They'll figure out a reason to stick together. Eberron works that way. It's a cosmopolitan enough setting that like you don't have those kinds of stereotypes. You don't have to deal with that sort of mess. Like it's fine. With, you know, like why would you have a, a group of international spies together? Uh, in the modern, in a modern era game, like you have that excuse in Eberron, right? You could also just happen to be on the same lightning rail. <laughs> yep. You know, like yep. we all needed passage from point A to point B, and like oh, we're the only ones who can deal with this problem right now, so we're gonna deal with it. 
All right, and then flip the script. If you have a person who's going to play in an Eberron campaign, they've never played in one before, what's one piece of advice for a new player? Pick an organization or pick a nation or pick a, pick a thing, right? And sign your character up for that. So whether that is being a Warforged, you know, former soldier, being a member of a Dragonmarked house, being, a, you know, a, a soldier from one of the nation's armies or, or, or whatever, right? Like have a personal thing about you tied to the setting um, because that gives, again, gives the DM something to work with, right, to, to kind of integrate into this. Like um, there's universities, there are um, different secret organizations, religions, uh, nations, um, like the Lazar Principalities, <laughs> uh, dragon riding halflings from the Talenta Plains. Like, just pick something. <laughs> yep. Uh, and let the DM bring you all together because there's lots of ways to do it. And like, just have your thing that you own in Eberron, right? Like become the, the expert in your group about Talenta halflings or whatever, right? The Takani Empire, like, pick your thing and just make that it because like again it's all meant to come together so you know own your piece of the mosaic excellent all right and then we kind of already touched on this already but if somebody wanted to get more information just kind of reiterate where would you send someone you mentioned keith slash is keith-baker.com keith-baker.com um that's good and i'll put all these links in the show notes too for anyone listening i'll make it easy for you but anything else that you would uh send them Uh, i believe all of the older edition books are still or are on dm's guild um in pdf so i think that's a great um great way to go i don't think like the mechanics are like obviously for a different game um but like they're not crazy out of whack and there's enough lore in there that keep it interesting, I think. Um, so I, again, I use those all the time. Um, and again, the just Eberron wiki, I don't know what the actual link is, but um, I'll find yeah. it. That's like, you know, it's like whatever the fandom site or something that like is just community run. It's not great, but it does again, have a, a good like bibliography to, to know which book is going to cover, you know, this, whatever odd topic you need information about. I need to check and see it because I, I said I think I have the complete 3.5 books, but I may if I am missing one, I might see if I can do a print on demand and just fill out my bookshelf there. Um, the the Zendrick book is one of my favorites, actually. I think uh, what is that? That's uh, Land of Secrets or something. I don't. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Um, I think I have that one. Though, yeah, but I'll double check. Uh, but I want to ask: Are there any of the novels? Have you read any of those from Eberron? <laughs> so. No. <laughs> okay, and that's that's fine. Uh, uh, and that was on advice that um, they're not great. So okay, so the, the Keith Baker wrote three. He may have written more about now, but by now, but back in the past, he had written three. I think it's called the Dreaming. He, Dark yeah, he wrote the Dreaming trilogy. Dark, right? So I think the first two were actually really, really okay. good. I think the third one's bad, and the, and the wrap up of the story wasn't okay. great for me. But I actually really enjoyed the first two, and I think the characters that are in those books are enjoyable to spend some time mm-hmm. with. And then I also read uh, a trilogy by Tim Wagoner. I think it's called The Blade of the Flame, and it's a vampire who is a cleric of the Silver Flame, okay. or was, became a vampire. I don't know. He's, still, he's a good guy vampire, uh-huh. and that's kind of a cool story arc for an Eberron-type game. And I think the, the main bad guy, and that's like a Rakshaka, or however you say that. Rakshasa. Exactly. Um, and I actually enjoyed those as well. And Tim Wagner has actually come to a CatCon before, so I'll always, always uh, plug those. Okay. Hey, look, I bet they're great books, and I probably got <laughs> bad advice. M- maybe. Again, my, I might be a less dis- uh, 
discerning. That's I was trying to say distinctive, like that's not right. Discerning <laughs> reader than you are. But I'll throw some some of those in the show notes as well. I'm sure there's a ton more by now. These are all kind of old. But yeah, thank you so very much for hanging out with me tonight. Again, I know you've, you've got baby situation going on, so your time is very precious. So I want to thank you. It's, it was great just to get to see and hang out with you. We need to do this more often. Absolutely. But if people want to interact with you while in your limited time or go back and listen to all your stuff while you're on hiatus, where should they go? Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. Uh, I kind of don't post a lot anymore because Twitter stresses me out now. But um, I, you can also find uh, Total Party Thrill at TotalPartyThrill.com or on iTunes and Google Play and all the usual places. Um, yeah, and that's uh, uh, on Twitter at TPTCast, though. That's also not updated very often now that we're on hiatus. Uh, but yeah. But you've got like 200 episodes, right? 270, something uh, like that? Yeah, I think we were at like 285. And then we um, switched to, to start our actual play series, which uh, we're actually currently, we're like five episodes into our actual play of The Sunless Citadel, a classic 3.5 adventure or third edition adventure that got updated in Tales of the Yawning Portal. Uh, but we have set that in Eberron. Um, so I'm actually, uh, we're, we're playing just Ishan and I, he's again, DMing Eberron cause that's all he'll ever do. Uh, I am again playing an Eberron, um, but I am a Lazar Prince who is a, a, a rogue archeology span student at Morgrave university, uh, investigating the sunless Citadel, trying to pay off my tuition and also complete my thesis. <laughs> Fantastic. Again, that's exactly the type of game that Eberron I think supports very well. Uh, so anyone listening, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Again, the, the, the goal is to go through all the various settings, in some cases subsettings, of the uh, Dungeons Dragons game. I'm looking for co-hosts for some of these. I've got two more lined up, both uh, Birthright and Spelljammer. But there are plenty more that nobody yet. Uh, so if you're listening and you are an expert or you know someone who's an expert on any of the various settings, please reach out. Let me know. Uh, I would be happy to have them on the show. And you can find everything I do, of course, at the RPG Academy. Uh, thank you once again, Shane. Really appreciate it. Love hanging out with you for a little bit. I, let's, let's not let it be another year before we do this again. Uh, but for those listening, hope you've enjoyed it. Check out Total Party Thrill. It's an amazing podcast. Uh, again, and all the episodes are basically self-contained, other than there's a segment where they sort of were telling a story. But you can jump in and hear advice on specific topics and bills on specific topics. So you don't necessarily have to go through 285 episodes but you should start at the beginning they're great from the start every once in a while somebody comes in discord and is like i just caught up and i'm like you're a madman <laughs> but uh Absolutely. yeah no i yeah thanks michael thanks for having me i've uh, had a blast i love love talking about this it's great to see you agree we need to play more games we need to see each other more often um glad you're doing well thanks you as well all right well that will do the awkward wave out even though no one's watching <laughs> and then we'll hit stop on our audio